and welcome back to No Screaming, episode 77. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies, currently available to stream on the internet. So you don't have to? Someday I'll get that right. <laughs> it changes every week. It's Someday fine. I'll figure it out. All the movies, every single movie ever. This week we're talking about the 2017 A24 horror film, It Comes at Night. I feel like it was really weird that you and I didn't see this in theaters. It's very strange. It's very unlike us. Something must have been going on, because like... From the 2016 year into 2017, it being like the Blair Witch remake, mm-hmm. and then Don't Breathe, and then leading into like obviously the year of Get Out. Mm-hmm. Like we were seeing every horror movie that came to theaters. We did, and we didn't except see this. this one. <laughs> I just don't know how it like crept past us. I know I wanted to see it. It just like didn't happen. It was so weird. Yeah, this comes with a lot of acclaim. This is the two of us coming to something that I feel like most of our peers in the avid horror community already are familiar with. Yeah. And Trevor Schultz is such a, like, He's a name. That, he's, he's a name an up-and-coming that people, like, name. Yeah, I would say up-and-coming or, like, niche in the way that, like, A24 directors are, like, revered. Well, I think that's worth acknowledging, and we'll talk about this over the course of the episode, I think, is that this is a movie that is popular not necessarily with horror fans, but with... A24 fans. Film we've, Twitter, we've, yeah. We've done a few A24 movies on the podcast. We're... Like, we're, we actually covered quite oh, yeah. a few. Yeah, I love them. And I think that we haven't really gone into... We've joked about their cult of personality, but mm-hmm. there's a specific subset of people who really have... I think it's mostly younger people who have really formed their identity as fans of film around A24 and A24-adjacent movies. Yeah. Right? Like, something like Get Out is not an A24 movie. It's a Blumhouse no, movie. Blumhouse feels actually, like, similar but very separate. Like, they also have a lot of, like... Not as much of the cult of personality, but still, I mean, I feel like when Get Out won, it was like, Blumhouse has an Oscar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was like a big thing that was like, Blumhouse, Jason Blumhouse did this. Jason Blumhouse? Was that his name? Jason Blum. <laughs> oh, Jason Blum. Yeah, obviously. Jason Blumhouse. That's what I'm going to call him. That's very funny. And I think that some of, I want to say up front before we talk about anything, whether or not we recommend this movie, but some of my misgivings about this movie have to do with that specific friction between horror fans and fans of the kind of movies that A24 produces. Some again, This is not... The important thing I want to clarify up front is mm. this is not a disparagement of A24, who I think produce I many say, incredible films. I feel like you films. are a little bit an A24 person. Don't you think? I don't know. I don't see stuff like Hot Summer Nights or like whatever... But I mean, like, I'm a big fan a of huge Midsommar stan. Sure, and you love Ari Aster. I sure, think those things come along with. There's like, a the... type of A24 horror that is very much my bag. Yeah, this one and we have like that. A24 merch in our house. We do. Like I'm just saying, like you have been on like A24 website, like okay. making sure we can you can get the merch that you know. I think this out. is that makes me sound like I've. I think I've bought one book from them, and it's the Moonlight book and the patch. Right, I have my uh, my name is Ladybird patch. I think I bought that with the book. Sure, but you, okay, <laughs> two okay. things. <laughs> I bought a piece of Ladybird merch and I bought a Moonlight book. I don't I'm think that's saying. the same as the people spending fifty dollars for Uncut Gems basketball shorts. Sure, right? Like, sure. I wouldn't. I, you're right that I'm not trying to put myself against the A24 fan community. Yeah, I'm just saying that the things that didn't work for me about this movie, and again, I want to, I want to yeah. do some high level thoughts before we get in are, I think, because of the ways that a certain subset of that community elevates certain horror films above others. And sure. this is a recurring conversation on this podcast That's fine. about 
you and I thinking that like something has yeah. to be good to the separation yeah. of horror versus like the psychological thriller or the like that's not really horror that's not really horror because good. meaning it's good yeah it's prestige so therefore it can't be horror no we obviously fight against that and I think that this, this movie podcast. which I thought was pretty good it yeah. was okay that's good I think has every single thing that the people we fight on this podcast would say is like oh yes this has all the like elevated elements Everything about this is, is quote-unquote, defying genre traditions to tell a more compact story about characters. Sure. Do you disagree? I don't know that I'd put it that way, but I understand why you feel that way that you do. <laughs> Did you like this movie? Would you recommend that our viewers watch this before um, listening? Here's the thing. I think that, it, like, watching it now was hilarious hilarious in a very dark way like it now felt, meaning quarantine or now, now meaning, meaning 2020 no uh, both <laughs> now meaning being quarantined in 2020 um there's so much of this that is like literally feels like it, it's happening right now <laughs> like it's so, I, I i copied down a bunch of the lines that like i have heard um you know people say <laughs> and i thought that i mean it started off the worst for me because i the day we watched this, I went to the grocery store, you know, of mm -hmm. course, like a, a huge endeavor um, in these days. And I then I sat down to watch this movie and they put on their gas masks in the beginning. And I was like, oh, I saw a man wearing a mask just like that at the grocery store today. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's a terrible way to start this off. That I'm like, oh, this is this is coming across really extreme, but actually it's not extreme at all. It's exactly what's happening right now. Um so, like, I think that actually my experience of it was definitely more elevated than it would have been in 2017. Mm -hmm. I think in 2017, actually coming off of movies like Get Out and Blair Witch and Don't Breathe, I would have been extremely bored by this movie. I would have been like, all right, take some risks, uh, do something more interesting. But now, because I we are experiencing the quarantine mm -hmm. um, and the paranoia and the um, separation... I think that I really enjoyed it because of that. Yeah, I think that there are there are definitely elements of this that I enjoyed, in particular the filmmaking, um, which is fairly showy. And I think that it really works for me. I will say his his filmmaking really works for mm -hmm. me. It has since waves. I really enjoy it. This this movie is absolutely if you are a fan of I don't want to say slower, though this is slow. It's slow. Like slower horror movies akin to and again, I'm going to keep naming things that I love, but like, like it follows, right? Yeah. With a lot of long static shots and it's about a mood more than it is about... And it asks a lot of questions. Yeah. It's not necessarily like monster, kill monster, the end. It's like really complicated. Psychological and thriller. It, I mean, it is. That's the problem. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a thriller. It's not thrilling. It is psychological horror. It is the mix of what we talk about. We're like, no, it's not it. Right? Like, I, I will express my difficulty with straight up, up and down horror in those ways because I think that those things can get really showy in a different way and yeah. gross and stupid. You know, things like what we want to watch this podcast, like Baskin and like. Baskin's you know, different, but yeah. It's extremely. You, you could never call Baskin just a psychological. Like, no, thriller. but I think that. It's insane. Not to not to um not to elevate Baskin or put it on a pedestal because I did not care for that movie at all. Uh, I think the thing that it's trying to do is weirder than absolutely a, what quote unquote straight up and down movie like it 
or sure. like I don't know. What I'm trying to think of like another like gross like a horror movie that I watch where I'm like, why is this just disgusting? It dragged me to hell. That's that's the first one I ever remember watching. Yeah. Being like, why? Why just the eyeball stabbing? And I don't get it. I don't understand mm-hmm. why. Why in so much horror, gross equals scary. That's just not how I feel at all. It's not complex. It's not complicated. I don't find it fun. I hate it. And so a movie like this that's like really reliant on you buying into what's happening in the movie and experiencing their fear yeah is complicated that 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 that's a complicated horror movie so let's talk about it yeah i'd love to this movie is about primarily one family uh joel edgerton and carmen yogo Mm -hmm. who play paul and sarah they have a kid named travis which Mm -hmm. is kelvin harrison jr from waves and loose uh, he's he had a big 2019, so I'm. It's yeah. fun that this was in 2017, <laughs> yeah. and then Trey Edward Schultz formed this relationship with him. It was like you will be my avatar <laughs> to tell my angry wrestler story That's, in Waves. Yeah. God, Waves. It's a rough movie. Uh, they are in quarantine. The movie opens with them burning Sarah's father, mm-hmm. who's sick. killing. He's sick. They shoot him in the head, and then they burn his body. Yeah. The sickness, as it presents, is it does seem kind of respiratory. There's mm-hmm. there's a heavy breathing, um, bl- like blood comes out of your mouth, and you get these like horrible kind of like sore, mm-hmm. sore things all over your body, and it happens extremely fast. Yes, yes, it's no. contagion level of like you show symptoms a day and a half later, you are on the brink of death. I love this world we live in where you can reference contagion and everyone's seen it, <laughs> rather than just being an underseen 2011 Soderbergh movie. And now everyone know contagion knows contagion. Now. <laughs> Christopher Abbott from Girls, his name is Will, I believe, breaks into their house. Mm-hmm. Inadvertently, he's not trying to hurt them. He's like literally no, he's looking for supplies and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just realized we can get through this plot very quickly. Just want to get through the plot. I would then... say just get through the plot and then we can yeah. Will there. breaks into the house. Uh, there's some mistrust. They end up going to get his family. He's got a wife and a kid. Mm-hmm. They go pick him up. They're all holding, hold up in this house together. They have a nice, sh- very short period of time where they're like, a. they've just doubled their family yeah. and they're happy. Then the mistrust starts to grow. Um, centered around the kid and the fact that the kid's wandering around when he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Maybe he sleepwalks. There's some fighting about that. Maybe he left a door open. Maybe he yeah, to the outside with world. the dog who is sick. The dog got sick and had to be killed. Yeah, dog got sick, dog dies. The, so the, the, the mistrust, sick, the yeah. tension is growing and Will and his family want to leave. I've already forgotten Joel Edgerton's name. Paul? Paul. Paul. Uh, doesn't want that to happen because he's yeah. like, if they leave, then they'll come back for us when they run out of supplies. Was, now we're now there's a target on our back because we were nice to them. Conflict throughout, even in the beginning, because when they have him captured, they're like, we can't just let him go. He knows where we are now. He could come back. We can't just send him off with water and supplies. They'll come back here. It's better for us to bring them back here, and then we can have a level of control over how much we're giving them. And there, and we can build a trust, and then of course that gets broken, and yeah. it's the same issue over and over. Our again. protagonists, the teenager aside, Travis, are extremely misanthropic. They do not have any faith in anyone outside of the three of them, right? And are just like so unrelentingly harsh. Yeah. So they try to leave, they can't leave. Um, and in the climax of the film, Paul ends up killing all three, of them. all three of them, and then Travis gets sick anyway 
and he dies, and then it's just the man and his wife, right? And that's the end of the movie. But the not with with the knowledge that absolutely they are also going to die yeah. within probably a few days. Like the way that this works is so it, it's so fast. You would not be able once one person started showing symptoms. There's absolutely it was no over way. for all of them. It was over for all of them the second the dog got sick. Really, mm-hmm. like maybe if the little kid hadn't opened the door, but probably even then. Uh, like, once it's entered this house, it's entered the house forever and they're all doomed. But that's the entire plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. We didn't really skip anything. It's mm-hmm. a lot of conversations about who can we trust? What do we have? How do we know? What are the rules? You know, of, what are the rules? How like do we know world, yeah. that you are who you say you are? Mm-hmm. Um, Travis has a lot of prophetic dreams that are kind of like a bit abstract. Uh, he dreams about his grandfather being sick a lot. He mm-hmm. dreams... He if has a sick. crush on... Will's wife, mm-hmm. Kim. Mm-hmm. I wrote down the names, but I keep forgetting. Uh, Riley Andrew's Keow. the little boy, right? Andrew's the boy. Andrew's the boy. Yeah. Uh, he has a crush on Riley Keow. And where where do you want to start with the non plot? Because I think the plot is really not what this movie's about. No, I don't know. I I have somewhere to start, which is that Paul is a piece of shit. Joel Edgerton, who is ostensibly the protagonist of this movie, I think is an absolute psychopath. He is, and this is we don't have. This movie is not interested in world building at all. Mm -mm. It has no interest in telling you anything about what this sickness is, if it has a name, how people lived before, how they live now. Where it came from, how people adapted. Is this, yeah. Is this 20 years later? Is this, is it, it happened this year? Like, they live in a cabin out in the middle of the woods. This Mm -hmm. is not a city or even a suburb situation. This is, they are removed from society. And it's like... Have that, has this how that's always been? Are they are they one of those people who's like, no, we always had a generator and a water supply and we just happened to get lucky? Or did and, they create this and world? And their rules are about very much about isolation, mm-hmm. right? They don't go out at night. And when they go out during the day, there's always... They have to be together. Mm-hmm. And it's never explained what that's about. I thought this was a monster movie. Yeah. And... It comes at night kind of implies that. After having seen it... It is purposefully vague about whether or not there is any... Yeah. Like, if there's there is one, There's something... one moment where Stanley runs away. Yeah, and, and he's barking at he's nothing. He's barking at nothing. He's, like, really barking. And then you hear the kind of that, like, high-pitched squeal that dogs do when they're, like, you know, getting hurt. And in the captions, it says, like, crunching. Yeah. And so you're like, oh, a monster got him. And that's when I thought, okay, the movie's going to turn and now there's a monster... And they have this whole process of two doors where the door to the outside leads to this kind of like chamber mud room. And then there's a door to the inside and it's like only one of those doors is locked at one time. And like it. There's, I mean, there's a lot of logistics that I yeah. think and muddy it, the waters, which is that you get sick from contact with someone who's sick, but you have to bury and burn the body, which to me implied some sort of transformation that once like. Almost like a like a zombie logic, right? Interesting. That after you get sick, you become You're something else, and that's what I thought was going on. Given their fear of running into anyone, yeah, and like there is what, what there's the, the only time we really ever see the outside at all is when Joel Edgerton and Chris Abbott are going off together mm-hmm. to go to his house to get his wife and his child, and they get attacked by two guys, and then they shoot the two guys, and then they do the same thing. They don't bear, they don't burn them; they just bury them. Uh. Do they not burn them? I think they we just bury it, them. But... We, we don't see it. I think they just bury them, which is would make sense if they're not um, sick. 
right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of the whole thing is that the, those they weren't sick. They just killed them because they, they were attacked. Um, he does have to wash his hands, which relatable. That's what I wrote down in wash your fucking hands too. I was like, that's the motto. Um, there's a, but what I was un- unsure of, and this is a big, this is another one of those big trade rituals questions where it's like, I don't know what happened is that presumably both doors are locked. The outside door and the inside door mm-hmm. are locked. The dog gets in to the inside to the inside door. When they find the dog, he they have inside. like what is basically like a um, what you would think of as like an airlock, yeah. like a decontamination yes. room. Yes, and they even have the like sheets up, like it's a decontamination. Yeah, room. but that's where they find the dog, and then the door is open when what's his name, the son, Andrew, not Andrew. Travis. Travis. When Travis finds the door, the older boy, when he finds the door, he finds it open. And the Mm -hmm. dog did not open the door. And I don't, I don't personally believe that Andrew opened the door either. Like. That's, that's one of the conflicts that they argue about is like how that door got open. What happened was that Travis finds Andrew in the grandfather's room, asleep on the carpet. He is having like a nightmare. Travis wakes him up, brings him back to his parents' room, drops him off, closes the door. Um doesn't really tell anybody about it until he then, like, until it kind of comes up. Yeah. Because it seems very normal, but then it's like, wait a second, why was he wandering around? And again, it. I feel like I know the characters. I don't think Andrew opened the door. I just don't, I don't think that's the movie. I mean, he's like a six-year-old. He's so. a child. He can barely reach the door for one. There's no reason for him to do it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But, so, the implication there is that, again, I think the dog getting in is the weirder question, right? Like, Nobody let this dog in and the door was locked. So like, what's going on there? Is there something supernatural here that we just don't ever see because it's not relevant to the story of these people? I I think part of my frustration is that I feel I'm kind of frustrated with this like intentional ambiguity. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with the concept of, uh, purposeful ambiguity. Yeah. But here it seems like, Ooh, you don't know. You don't know if it's supernatural or if it's all and in their heads. And you're like, commit. A little bit. It I... feels it feels a little too uh, clever. Maybe, yeah. No, just like 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 um, self-aggrandizing. Just like, oh, I I I'm keeping you in the dark about this. Yeah. I think I do think it's lazy in general. Um, I in situations like this, I'm like, make a decision. You either get to have your supernatural movie or you get to have your quarantine paranoia movie. You don't get to do both and then just, and then get to live in both worlds. Like you have to make a decision and I'm okay with it being a fake out and then it not being anything at the end. I just realized the thing is both. John Carpenter's the thing is. It's both. It's both supernatural and yeah. also a paranoia. You don't have to pick one. Yeah. But you have to commit to whatever you're doing. To the doing. thing you're doing. And uh, this doesn't really and I don't know that I had a huge problem with it, but I I understand having a problem with it, and I mm-hmm. do think that it is a, would be a better movie if it committed in either direction. And again, I don't think this is a bad movie. I sincerely don't think this is a bad movie. I just don't think it's a great one, and yeah. I think that part of the problem in viewing this in 2020 under these circumstances is that the word of mouth has preceded it at this yeah. point. People yeah, have yeah, talked yeah. about it comes at night being a great film for too long for me to come into this expecting anything other than at least, oh wow, this is doing something really and thoughtful. I, yeah, and I don't and I think, think it was thoughtful. Like, filmmaking wise... Well, that's, was, I think that's its own, its own conversation. Well, I was going to say, I think that there's one moment specifically that I really, really, really loved where I was like, there's Trader Schultz, which is that there's an overturned tree where they, it's where they actually like bury the two men who attack mm-hmm. them and it's this like beautiful you can picture that's that beautiful kind of shape of the 
um, all the roots and the dirt. Yeah. And it fades into a shot of the house, like an above mm-hmm. shot of the house. And the shape is exactly the same. So the, the overturned tree becomes the house. And it was like, I was like, there he is. That's my man. Because when I saw waves, it's all like that. It's all like unbelievably creative, beautiful filmmaking. Should we talk a little bit about waves? At least like mention it. Yeah. I feel like maybe our <laughs> listeners don't know what it is. It's not a horror movie. No. It's a, it's straight. Although Schultz. it has some fucked up elements. It's Trayvon Schultz's movie from 2019. Uh, that went way underseen relative to its hype coming out of festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a teenager wrestler played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. who injures his arm, and then his life goes pretty pretty badly so after that. So off the rails in a terrible way. And it then it becomes a different of, movie, like, three quarters of yeah, the way it through. is one of the most uh, interesting, like, formal experiments in terms of, like, technical filmmaking that I've ever mm-hmm. seen, because it's doing the most. I loved looking at it. For me, the story stuff didn't work, but it is it is really reaching above and beyond filmmaking. One of the most wise. beautiful movies I've ever seen, absolutely. And I think it, what how it's relevant the the storytelling how it's relevant here is that I wasn't sure for a long time which way this movie was going to go because mm-hmm. Waves is both incredibly nihilistic and optimistic. Yes, it's both. It's that like what happens in the middle is like. I've never seen something so horrible and ugly in a movie Mm -hmm. that I was just like, I wanted to leave. I was just like, this feels awful for everyone involved. And I just like, why is this happening? Why would you write it? It becomes a different movie. Why would you write a movie about this? It's just awful. And then the last part is so beautiful about like life and people coming back together. And like, it's so gorgeous. And I was just like, how do you feel? Trey? (laughs) Like what's going on with you? Like, and this movie could really go either way where it Mm -hmm. could be so mean and cruel or it could be like wow these people really came together and they like love each other and they made a family and it's kind of both it's just both in a much shorter time period yeah i think it's ultimately a movie about the evil that men do i mean i think that like paranoia is the undoing the mistrust is the undoing of their entire situation right like what i think is so interesting because i was getting so nervous around like the midpoint where i was like what is going to happen because they're so happy and I really didn't want it to go the way that I felt like it was going to go where it was like, they're just all going to kill each other. But what I liked about it, about how it ended up kind of all playing out is that paranoia wasn't necessarily what, what destroyed them because he was actually sick. Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like it was like, oh, we think he's coughing a little bit. Get out of our house. And he kills them. It was like... However, they just wanted to leave. They didn't want it to be their problem. But it played out, I felt, so much more naturally than I was envisioning. Which is that, like, then there was a point where they were like, okay, we do want to get them out of here. But then it ended up turning into a fight. And then they tried to run. And then once he shot Andrew, it was like, I have to kill her too. She's going to... There's no way I can kill this child and let this woman go. Well, she begs to die. She right? d- Yes. Uh, but even if he didn't want to kill her, he, like, he had to at that point. So, for me, like, it just... I don't think it was as much... It, it doesn't have as much that feel of, like, God, people are just so evil and awful and they'll kill each other. Which is, like, that's the darkness that movies like this tend to See, inhabit sometimes. At some point, like, when... I don't know. Again, there's this struggle over the gun. Uh, I wrote down that no good guy in a movie has ever said, look what you made me do. Sure. Uh, that's not like a... When does he say that? Or see what you made me do. Um, I think once he shoots Will. To who? Who's he say it to? To Will? Yeah. 
That's fair. That's a very villainous sentence. And I think that Joel Edgerton's performance in this is so angry. He's the worst. No question he's the worst. But I think that, like, I just, I didn't feel like anybody's actions were that ridiculous in this movie. Ridiculous? No. Um, cruel, mean-spirited, cynical, misanthropic. Yeah. I disagree. I don't when, think as so. Soon as, as soon as Travis comes to them and is like, I think that the kid might be sick, they're fucking ready to mobilize. Both Sarah and Paul are ready to mobilize. They're like lo- like loading the guns. Well, they're like- right to because then they bring the guns and then the second that he- Will opens the door, he no, takes No, because gun. Travis is just saying, let them leave. Give sure, them what's fair and let them but leave. But we don't know that that's what would happen. I think that like they're... See, like- now you mistrust them. Well, yeah, because that's what... Okay, okay. I, I will also say I have to like lay down how I feel about these sorts of things in general. I don't understand wanting to stay alive in these scenarios. I am a, uh, I'm a creature of comfort. I, uh, really enjoy my life and this whole, like, can we please, oh, please, sir, can I have a gallon of water is like bananas to me because you're going to get through that gallon of water in like a week and then you're going to like need more water. So yeah, you're probably going to come back to this house that gave you water once and beg for water again. Cause you don't have anywhere else to go. So like, I don't think it's that ridiculous. They would come back. I think that what was done was wonderful, which is that it's like, let's just bring them into our community and create this. And like, when they think Andrew might be sick, Joel Edgerton's decision is like, let's just social distance for a couple days. Like you go into your room and we'll go into our room and we'll take as much as we need for a couple days. And we'll like kind of try to ride this out. Like, I think that it's very sensible. Obviously the end, it, I just think that it escalates little by little by little. There are so few opportunities to turn back because he goes to the door to see if Andrew's okay. Mm -hmm. And Will takes the gun and then Will's got a gun on him. And then of course, uh, Joel Edgerton's wife is going to react to that and put the gun on him instead. So now they're in like a Mexican standoff of like, we've all got guns on each other. Yeah. And if you all have guns on each other, somebody's going to get hurt. It's just the way. I just think that for me, sometimes watching these movies, I'm like, God, you're being stupid. Like, just put it down or just let like, I just didn't feel, I felt like everybody was reacting in a really normal human way. Uh, because there this world i think that's what it comes down to for me is that this world is unsustainable i and it's why like i have always felt i have no interest in living in it i don't understand mm-hmm. this mindset of like we have to stay alive for what for this hellish existence like maybe i guess if you have a child you you feel this need to keep them Which alive both families do sure but travis can fend for himself he's 17 uh andrew cannot but like i don't again this this begs the question of like how long has this been going on you know did they, I wish did they have a child us. into this? Because as we said during when we saw A Quiet Place, don't have a baby into an apocalypse. It's a terrible idea. Uh, this it's movie's just, definitely it's better than A Quiet Place. Oh, it's absolutely better than A Quiet Place, no question. Uh, I guess I, I, my, just, my feeling is that I'm like this... What, what destroys them is not paranoia or being human or in people's inherent t- turning on each other or whatever. It's just that this life is unsustainable. You sure. cannot have limited resources and live in peace. It does not work. I mean, that's how the world already is now. Yeah. Like, it doesn't work. You're going to have tragic endings like this when people have to fight for resources. I do think that before the apocalypse, we should have a conversation about how long you think a gallon of water lasts 
because uh, it certainly would not last a family of three a week. That's, I mean, I thought I was being very generous. I would say like a couple days, really. Uh, at most. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't... I, mean, I was thinking that they were being like rationing so unbelievably specifically. Mm-hmm. If you had a gallon of water, you don't think you could make it last a week if you were allowing yourselves like a couple tablespoons a day. Do I have a wife and child? Yeah. I guess. You'll go mad from dehydration. <laughs> On a tablespoon a day? I don't think that's true. I hope I never have to find I out. I hope I never have to find out. As I said, kill me. Kill me long before this happens. I do not want to live in this world if we're fighting for water. Do you want to talk about the climactic aspect ratio <laughs> Sure. thing? God, I forgot about that until you said it. So during the climax, during this whole, you know, Will takes the gun and they've got to stand off and it ends up chasing outside and then Jill just kills everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the aspect ratio... The the uh, size of the frame is just getting smaller and smaller horizontally. Mm-hmm. The black bars in the letterbox format on the top and bottom of the screen are just pressing in. Squishing in. Just gradually, just mm-hmm. so it's so thin. And it's kind of a cool effect. I think it except works. Except the shaky cam style that is being employed, during, especially during this, this last outdoor sequence, mm-hmm. is... So apparent in the very thin frame yeah. that it's it was driving obvious. me crazy. Yeah, it's a little nauseating. Uh, I think it worked so well because it's it's so funny because they're outside, so it doesn't have that cl- like that like oh we're closed in we're quarantined feel because they're outside. But it's what so it aids in the claustrophobia mm-hmm. of the moment is like, but we're all still trapped in this world together. And like I think that worked so well. I don't notice the shaking as much as you, but I did. I do feel you that like. It's so much worse when when it's yeah, so it's then, a smaller screen. It does make you wonder if Noah Hawley saw this because the the effect that he uses for aspect ratios in Lucy of the Sky, which came out last year, is also about like feeling trapped Making and feel feeling trapped, free. Yeah. It's about like mm-hmm. um, the the aspect ratio in that movie is moving the entire time. It's always just like growing and expanding mm-hmm. and shrinking. And this feels it feels very inspired by this. Uh, I think it works. I think it works really well. Especially it works outdoors. because it's not the whole movie. Yeah, it is specifically during the climax, and it is ramping up tension, and it does. Mm-hmm. Again, it is a little self conscious in terms of like, look at me, filmmaking. But I like that kind that's of thing. Kind of so. how he ma- that's kind of how he makes films, honestly. That's I would kind of his I would whole say thing, so. <laughs> which works for me sometimes and works doesn't work other times. I have two kind of, like, random notes, if you want to hear them. I did say this while we were watching, um, but Chris Abbott, who plays Will, um, he literally looks like Kit Harington and Shia LaBeouf smushed into one person with, like, the, like, that's, not to pat myself on the back, but, like, that's exactly what he looks like. (laughs) Kit Harington and Shia LaBeouf smushed into one person. It's eerie, and I couldn't stop thinking about it the entire time. Because he also kind of, like, walks like Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I've never thought this before until you pointed it out, because I always look at him and I see Kit Harington. But oh, yeah. it is specifically, it's, yeah. He's got Shia LaBeouf face, too. It's so, it, it's freaky. I didn't like it. So that was really distracting throughout the movie. And then the other thing, which is similar to me talking about um, just my own feelings on the apocalypse, which is that... This movie, Bird Box and A Quiet Place, all uh, came out within the last, you know, two or three years. Yeah. Um, And I'm telling you that if I was in an apocalypse situation, if I hadn't already killed myself, like I already said that I was going to, um, my hair would be gone. (laughs) I love my hair. I love having long hair. It's like my favorite thing. 
But the second I don't have access to clean water on a regular basis, it's gone. It's off. I'm buzzing it. It's weird to me that we don't see that enough. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It is only Hollywood being stupid. Because even if you wanted to have, like, some commentary on, like, oh, a woman needs to still feel some level of control or still feel pretty or still feel something, like, at least address it. Because it's so insane to me that uh, Kim comes into this situation with her long hair and mm-hmm. she has not had water. Yeah. They're they're begging for water to drink and she's still like, oh, I love to braid my hair. Really? You do? No. Like, uh, no. Yeah. I, my hair feels disgusting on my head after a couple days. And like, there's no way I'd make it like a couple weeks or a month with long hair. It's not happening. Even just like in a practical scenario, there's no reason to not... Like at least, at least have cut short it short. Hair. Yeah. yeah, I guess you don't have to buzz it, but like cut it so that you're not having to do anything with it, or yeah. it's like not like free and hang down your back, especially in like a scenario like a quiet place or bird box where like there's actually something hunting you and you need to like be able to move quickly and not get it like caught on things. Or I mean, honestly, today I was walking down the street, walking my dog with my face mask on, and my hair was blowing into my eyes, and I couldn't touch it because I would be touching my face, and I was like. I'm cutting it off. Yeah. Like, I'm in the least possible quarantine scenario when I'm getting ignored with my hair. So, like, can you imagine? No. It's absurd. Someone needs to make a movie about being quarantined where the woman cuts her hair off because it's ridiculous to me. I'm, I'm super over it in movies now. That's my commentary. Are you ready to be buried and burned alive? We'll see where we're going with this, you know, situation. Might happen. Yeah, that's the outcome. Why don't we try doing a roulette? Okay. All right, let's spin the roulette. Our next movie will be... Hallelujah, the Devil's Carnival. Where is that? It's on Amazon Prime. It has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. How many reviews? I don't know. Hold on. I don't know. I can't click on it. Oh, this is... This is interesting. This is a movie from the writer-director of Repo, the genetic opera. Oh, no. Which... Was oh, an important no. part of my high school. I hate that experience. Movie. I hate that movie. <laughs> this may be a sequel to a a sequel. Stylized on screen as the Devil's Carnival, Alleluia. It is a direct sequel to Bowsman's 2012 short film, The Devil's Carnival. Okay, so it's a short. It's a sequel to a short film. That's not that bad. Well, it's a 56 minute short film. Still. Okay, this has a six, it has six reviews on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Not many! But it's 100%, and 160 user ratings giving it 86% audience score. Okay! Okay, I guess we're doing it. It sounds It gives us an opportunity to talk about Repo. Oh my god, I'll die. Oh boy. All right, so... God, I'm gonna hate, I already know I'm gonna hate this, but I'm, I'm into it. It's not a quarantine movie, but... Alleluia, The Devil's Carnival. The Devil's Carnival. Let's do this. Until then, you can check us out on our website at nowscreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at nowscreaming. Be sure to tell your friends to binge listen to us in quarantine and leave us a review on iTunes. Do it. It's fun. Thank you, as always, to Wes Craven and to Nobuhiko Abayashi, who made a movie in 1977. This is our 77th episode called Haosu. It's fate. That is a very important movie to me. He passed away this past weekend. It's a great movie. Uh, It is a horror movie horror fantasy comedy that I highly recommend anyone who is a fan of the genre to check out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's on Criterion Channel. It's weird as hell. Criterion brought it to a lot of people. Wonderful, wonderful movie. One of my favorites of all time. 
in my in my inner circle favorites. And uh, I really hope we get to see it. Uh, R.I.P. to a legend. At midnight at the music box someday. Was scheduled for midnight at the music box. Uh, Had to be canceled in March. So music box, please bring it back when we're. They all liked my tweet about it. I tweeted about it. Did and they? they? Liked it, so oh, they're gonna bring it back. All right. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stay, stay inside. inside. Stay inside. Spook. Stay spooky inside. As they say in the movie, don't go outside unless you absolutely have to. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah.